Previously on the NFL Scotland podcast. The the Gi- the Giants are my sleeper Super Bowl bet in the NFC. What? I can't I cannot oh. look, Hold on, hold hold on. That should be the perfect way in line of duty style to stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll pick that up next time. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the NFL Scotland podcast. And as you just heard, the bold claim that ended episode 147 by Gordon McGuinness. They've ordered the ticker tape parade in blue and white down the middle of New York because Gordon McGuinness thinks the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. That's what you said, Gordon. Have I got that right? I think that's verging on a gross misrepresentation of what I said. I think my... Bear in mind, it was long enough ago now that maybe I'm forgetting. I think what I said is I think they can contend this year. And I stand by that. I think I've got good reasons for that. So the very reason we have brought Jamie Borthwick onto this particular podcast, he's a resident Giants fan. Long-suffering is normally the words we put in front. Jamie, is it going to be long-suffering or is there hope on the horizon? Uh, I think... The immediate post-draft glow, I would definitely have jumped in two-footed and went, yes, I think Gordon's absolutely on to something. But the longer it goes and the more I kind of size up this roster, in particular the offensive line, gives me a bit of the jitters. But there will be a step forward this year. I can see it in a lot of these young guys. So it's all a matter of when do they start to catch momentum. And, you know, in this game, if you can catch momentum later on in the season, then... The Giants have proven it before. Anything's possible. What was missing last year, Jamie? What was the problems last year? Let's talk about, you know, season 2020, first of all. The offence was a hot mess. Um, They lost their best player um, right at the start of the season, which put, uh, with, with Barkley being ruled out, it put everything on Daniel Jones for the entire year. And let's be honest, in a sort of what's essentially a year two for a quarterback, it's probably the toughest year they have because there's enough tape for everyone else to know how he performs and particularly how he performs under pressure. And they went out and and defences had the measure of him. I thought Jones started to get a wee bit better towards the end of the season. And I think that's because the O-line started to function because, frankly, they were not functioning at all at the start of the year. Um but guys like Shane Lemieux came in and and brought just a bit of raw aggression and raw power in there. And I think Andrew Thomas really started to um, sort out some of the more glaring issues that he began the year with at tackle. Um, Matt Pert came in and and, and, and did fairly well um, at right tackle as well. And they were at least able to hold up the line for more than 50% of the game, which allowed them to, 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 to operate a little bit better. And then they fizzled out again at the end of the season. But they're young and they are talented. Um, and that defence, I thought, was excellent last year. And I think with uh, Aziz Ojolari drafted in the second round, they will actually have um, a bit more of a, of, of a, a pass-rushing threat this year, um, which will help them because I think the, that um, their, their defensive backs... Are, are excellent and and more than capable of being part of a being part of a team that goes and and challenges for the off season. Yeah, it's interesting, Gordon. I mean, Jamie mentions Ojolari, Ellison Smith, another linebacker uh, out of Northern Iowa. So you know, two of the first four picks were linebackers. It's certainly an area they were weak at. Is does that give you hope? 
for them. Yeah, and I think maybe less so necessarily for early this year and more kind of going forward, but both Ellerson Smith and Aziz Ojolari were good athletes in college and players who produced in college. Admittedly for Smith, it was at a lower level, but there's a ton of talent there. And to Jamie's point, I think where the Giants have something going for them this year is that with the exception of a question mark at quarterback, they're good at the places where it really matters to be good right now in the NFL in terms of what you can do throughout the throughout the regular season. The receiving group is, I think, one of the probably the most underrated group in the NFL right now because of the addition of Kenny Galladay. Darius Slayton was already really good. Sterling Shepard, I think, has been underrated for a good number of years. Kadarius Tony, I think, fits well in that group in the sense that he's not going into that system being asked to be a number one wide receiver and you can just find ways to get him involved. The offensive line's a big concern, but I don't necessarily think it's out with the realms of possibility that that can be a top, you know, 15, 16 line in the NFL. I think it can be pretty average. So what they've done is they've put the pieces in place to see what Daniel Jones is. And if Daniel Jones isn't good this year, the Giants won't go anywhere near the playoffs and won't go anywhere near Super Bowl. But we've seen in recent years, if you surround a quarterback with that kind of talent, this third year is when we can see that leap forward. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that he's going to have the Josh Allen leap forward, but if he even has half of that, then he becomes a pretty solid quarterback who can do some damage on the ground and has a ton of talent around him. So I just think when you look at the NFC East as a as a division, the Giants have enough about them that it really wouldn't surprise me to see them be the team that kind of elevates above that. Obviously, the Cowboys are going to be the big threat, but the Giants have got, I think, the most talent they've had in a good number of years. Jamie, what's, I mean, Gordon mentioned Sterling Shepard. I mean, in terms of fantasy football, probably one of the most frustrating receivers that you could ever put anywhere near your roster because you know he should be better. Now, I would argue uh, that Kenny Golladay falls into that category as well. You always wanted more from him. Four years, 72 million. If they hit with Golladay, I, I think they're onto something because, as Gordon mentioned, you, you're taking away Kadarius Tony, who's a great player, but he doesn't have to come in and be, you know, the main man right away. Yeah, I didn't mention the receiving cores in, in, in my initial answer because it was anonymous, really. They had Slayton as a deep threat. Shepard could barely get fit, and that was kind of the long and the short of it. Um, Galladay, I remember last season, was entirely injury hit, and 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 that's why he disappointed her, certainly in fantasy terms. But when you look at the numbers from the two seasons before that, I think that's where you understand the sort of player that they're throwing that sort of money at. What I like about the way that they've built it is that they've got um, a little bit of everything in there. You've got um, Galladay who go up and, and, and win all the contestable catches. They've got Tony who can... You know, he can do a little bit of everything. He can, um, you know, he can run with the ball. He's he's unbelievably fast, elusive. He can line up in the slot. He can line out, line up um, out wide, and he, and he can and he can go for the deep ball, as Slayton can. Sterling Shepard, I think, is probably on a sugly peg because his cap hit is huge, um, and there's lots of other slot options now on this roster. So there's a massive season for him, and he's going to have to produce if he if he's going to continue as a as a Giants player because um, I 
think he's the third biggest cap hit this year. And that may have even been before other guys restructured. So he's really got to hit it this year. Otherwise, he's he's, he's going to be off ski. So there, there's, you know, there's good incentive all rounds here. Um, um, and I, and <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to see if Daniel Jones is up to it. Yeah, um, absolutely. We've also got to see if um, Jason Garrett's up to it because there were massive question marks over him as the offensive coordinator last year. And did he really know how to use Daniel Jones? Well, now he's got a little bit of everything in his armory. If you can't scheme up something for um, all of these pieces, then you, you, you're not going to last as an OC. One sign I'd like to talk about, just to get your reaction, because I love teams who have obviously spent a lot of money and then you look for a little bit of value. So if I was to say the name to you that I'm just about to say, Cullen Galaspia. Now, Cullen Gillespie, for, for people who don't know, was drafted by the Houston Texans in the seventh round, 220th overall in the 2019 draft. Uh, didn't quite work out for him. I think that that's fair to say. He's had one reception, went for six yards. It was against Pittsburgh, so it doesn't really count because let's be honest, who can't catch against Pittsburgh? But they've signed him as a fullback for $850,000. Now, it's a complete and utter no-risk I'm fascinated by signings like this because you don't just do that on a whim. They must see a little something in there, even if it's just for special teams. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but everyone was scratching their heads because Eli Penny is a perfectly serviceable fullback who did really well last year. I'm not sure what role Galaspia has been. And I, th- I think he maybe started off as a sort of blocking tight end and 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 he's um, been brought a little deeper as a fullback. Um I haven't heard a single thing um, <laughs> coming out of uh, um, any training activities that they've done so far. So genuinely, that that one is a is a mystery. But they've they have gone for some. They have gone for a few cheap, um, uh, perhaps question mark options in here um, in the in free agency. They've taken Kelvin Benjamin, um, but as a tight end. Um, and I'm not sure. I think I think he's played for about two years. Yeah, 2018 was the Kansas City Chiefs. They've also picked up Kyle Rudolph. He's another one of these frustrating players that you always think should be better than he is. Kyle Rudolph. I think the the nice thing about Kyle Rudolph is that he's more likely to actually catch passes uh, <laughs> than Evan Ingram has proven um, over the last couple of years. Um, and. Uh, Still a little surprised that they kept Evan Ingram on. I mean, on paper, the, the guy the guy should be outstanding, but um, maybe with more uh, uh, possession-type plays going to Kyle Rudolph, it might open up Ingram a little bit. Um, it, it, it seems like a decent pick-up there. And, you know, the other the other real kind of um, low-risk high reward is probably John Ross, who's um, a total flop but at, uh, at um, Cincinnati. But he's got... I think still probably a, a high ceiling because of his physical attributes. So he's coming on, you know, a, a, a spare change over a million in the year, and you can, he'll go and, and compete with Sterling Shepard for a for a, a slot space, and don't see anything wrong with that in terms of building a roster. Yeah, Gordon, they have done quite a lot of shopping in what you would class as perhaps the Aldi or Little market rather than Waitrose, which is quite interesting. I mean, I'm not sure I'd be thrilled to have three people from Detroit Lions coming along. Okay, one of them is Golladay. But I guess, you know, 
you've had time to evaluate. If two or three of these players stick, and as, as Jamie said, their value turns out to be way ahead of what you've got, these are the kind of make-or-break things that will help the Giants. Yeah, and it's it's not like the players. So, like, John Ross, I think, is a great example. If John Ross gives the Giants what he gave the Bengals last year, which was, what, seven, two, two receptions, I think, over the course of the whole year, then it's not really the end of the world because they've got receiving talent out there. If he gives them, gives them what they gave the Bengals the year before that, which was averaging 18 yards a catch on 28 receptions, that adds something to the offense. And that additional bit of speed that, you know, compare with Kadarius Tony, the first round draft pick, things like that, you don't, if you can go and sign a player for not a lot of money and you don't need him to be a consistent performer, but anything he does give you as a bonus, stuff like that, I think can always be the thing that when other players go down, you know, it can give a little boost with things like that. So stuff like that, any kind of low risk, high reward I'm all for. Yeah, I mean, he's a former first-round pick, so I'm not, you know, it is one of these things, Kyle Rudolph, former second-round pick. So they, they are shopping around and, and using their money. I mean, just having a little look at, you know, where where else they might get some value. Uh, guard Zach Fult from the Texans, one year, 1.2 million. Nose tackle Danny Shelton, one year, 1.12 million. They're, they're not paying a fortune. I, I I just think it's a brilliant sport when you can be lining up a guy who's earning 18 times what you're earning. Uh, you know, so, so you know, Golladay uh, up against Ross. So it, it's an interesting one. In terms of the coaching, Joe Judge, second year. Are you convinced by him, Jamie? Or is he still going to prove that he's got what it takes? I'm not sure convinced is exactly the word, but but I'm on board. I'm on board with him. I think he talks a great game, and I think the players um, all seem to be pulling in that direction as well. So year two is another one. He's another young uh, young guy in there in, in head coach terms, and you're looking for him to take a step forward. Um, I think he, he's massively helped by having a, a fantastic defensive coordinator in there. I think he and Garrett need to maybe knock their heads together a little bit more to, to come up with something a bit more inspiring, a bit more uh, um, just uh, um, that's going to knock other defenses a little bit more off their off their pace against them. Um, but I think he's a guy who gets the Giants. He understands um, he understands the the history of the head coach role there. He understands what has worked. In this organisation, um, he's had a great, you know, he's, he's worked with great people on his way up as well. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm confident. I'm confident that he's that he's going to take another step forward. So, gents, what I'd like to do now is run through the first six games of the season, and I want you to tell me at the end of the six games what the Giants' record, in your humble opinion will be because I often think and we know this it's very rare if teams start badly that they will go on to the playoffs certainly if you go 0-3 it can be a bit of a disaster so I'm going to read out uh, the fixtures they're going to kick off kicking off uh, in Denver uh, one of the 425 games on the 12th of September so that's the opening fixture at Denver the Washington football team the team that still can't afford to buy a nickname um, is then just four days later so the first Thursday night football of the season comes along. So they're at Washington, short turnaround. Atlanta Falcons comes up on the 26th. That's at home. Uh, they then go to the Superdome. Uh, where they'll face the New Orleans Saints. 
They then go to Dallas for another divisional game, and week six they will end Los Angeles Rams at home. Gordon, first of all, where do you see the wins coming from and what's your record for them? So uh, I think I, I think the first game might actually be at home, the Broncos game. Yep, it is. Yes, yeah, sorry. I, I think they start 3-0. And then I think they win one from three of at New Orleans at Dallas against the Rams. So I think they're four and two after six games. Jamie, yeah, I had four and two as well. Um, I think they probably lose. Um, they probably they, they they always lose at Dallas. They're um, I'm absolutely appalling in that stadium, and uh, the, I think they probably lose to the Rams. So they they, they could start four and zero. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think what will tell it for me is basically the first, I think, three fixtures. If you are going to be a playoff team, and this is no disrespect to the other teams involved, you have to knock off Denver at home and you have to knock off Atlanta at home. Now, I know Washington won the division last year, but you could also make a strong case that Dallas gave it away and didn't want to win it. Um, so 3-0 and isn't actually a bad thing. Gordon, if you are going into the season with that as your mindset, and I'm sure New York are, if you don't win any of those, or if you lose one of those three games, where can that take you psychologically? I think lose one of them is probably not the end of the world. If they go one and two coming out of those games, then you're going to have to early on dig deep mentally to make sure you're not going to start to fall into a little bit of a hole there because you then put a lot of pressure on yourself to have to win probably two of those next three. Um, And if you don't do that, then all of a sudden that's when it can start to snowball a little bit and go against you. Jamie, from somebody who follows the Giants, the team in in the division, where do you see, is it Dallas that's going to be the toughest rival, do you think, coming out this year? You know, Philadelphia in turmoil, we'll see a new quarterback there. Dallas, well, you know, Dak Prescott should be back, but Dallas or Dallas and can do anything. Uh, no, I think I think Washington and, and Dallas might actually be fairly fairly even this year. Uh, Washington's defense is excellent, and it will have them up there again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every every year. Um, that goes by and it looks like the Eagles are going to be the, the poorest out of the lot and they always seem to scrape and particularly in divisional games they're always a nightmare to play against so um, you know that they can that can really kind of affect the final standings but I I, I I do think that Giants will win the division probably say it every year but this year maybe with slightly more confidence and uh, uh, substance behind me um, I I can't pick which out of Dallas and Washington will be the, the, the closest rivals, but um, the Eagles will stick their own in as well. Absolutely no doubt about it. Gordon, where do you three see the the threat to your Super Bowl winning Giants coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I think it, it's definitely, for me, it's definitely Dallas. The Dallas thing's really interesting because if I was to, I, I would say I've probably got more faith in the Giants win division than the Cowboys would probably have more faith in the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl purely because if the Cowboys are the team that go to the playoffs out of the NFC East it probably means that defense wasn't the absolute train wreck that it was last year and they've got a good enough offense that if the defense is okay I think they can probably compete with anyone I've just got 
so little faith in that defense. Like last year, it was bad. Um, and it was bad when they have the players that they really shouldn't be, which is concerning. And the fix for that is they went and drafted Micah Parsons in the first round. I think Parsons has a chance to be a very good player in the NFL, but as I saw from the Ravens' perspective of Patrick Queen, rookie linebackers can be horrible. Um, they bite on play action, you know, they get lost in coverage zones, all those things. And a linebacker in today's NFL is arguably the hardest position on defense because they're just asked to do so much trying to read RPOs, play action, you know, all the intricacies of those things. If that Dallas defense doesn't significantly improve, then I don't know that they're much better than they were last year, even with Dak Prescott back, because they're going to put up enough points. I think that's fine. I just don't know they're going to stop people at all. Washington, I think, can be a threat, but Fitzmagic's going to give you probably eight games of wow and nine games of throwing the ball to the other team. And, you know, as we discussed, after last season, I'm as much as I want him to be good, I'm very much not sold on Jalen Hurts at this point in time. So I need to see him do something for the Eagles to move that. So I, I'm with Jamie in that. I think I, I would have the Giants as favorites to win the division. I think Dallas are their biggest challengers. Um, then Washington and Philadelphia need to answer the quarterback question and get early production out of the young receivers. So, Jamie, if you were a radio host in any of these four cities, which would you like to be in? You know, from the perspective, would you be wanting to be in New York to praise the Giants or would you be ready in Philadelphia to tear into anything that's uh, green that doesn't work? I think I think if anything's going to surprisingly not work, then it's Dallas because I, I, I think that they actually do have pieces in place there, but a dysfunctional organisation that I don't see any confidence in getting the pieces in the right way to make it actually work. I think... Washington have the beginnings and they have quite a solid organisation there and one that um, can probably actually, you know, get at least the sum of its parts together. Um, but no, I want to be in New York to finally say, right, the Giants have got a semblance of uh, respectability back at last. Um, and if it doesn't come together, then join the rest of the New York media and absolutely decapitating them. <laughs> Personally, I mean, I used to, I, I've listened to all of the, the team's radio. It gets harder and harder to actually get the radio broadcast because of all the various blocks that the NFL successfully put in. Washington used to be the, the best biased booth you would ever hear. They were absolutely brilliant, but unfortunately, they blew that booth up. Dallas are unbelievable homers as well. They have got to be listened to, to be believed. Um, New York actually pretty fair and Philadelphia as well is is not too bad but uh, if I was going to follow one of the teams for the radio I think I think I'd be with you I think it'd be the Giants this year because I think they are going to be interesting no matter what uh, just some sad news before we we leave the Giants Jim Fassel former head coach uh, has died at the age of 71, won the 1997 NFL Coach of the Year award after his first season as Giants head coach. Uh, the Giants became NFC champions before losing to the Baltimore Ravens in the Super Bowl. 58-53-1. and It's a pretty impressive record, Jamie. Yeah, it was, you know, it, just to see the, the breadth of uh, tributes being paid to him today from, you know, guys who knew him inside out and maybe had him as their coach or who worked 
closely with him in the organisation to the other players who, who you know, just would have had the, the briefest of times with him or, or even just met him on other times when he'd left the organisation, came back in to talk. He, he left an imprint on everyone and um, that's uh, the sign of a, of, a, of, a, of a major head coach, a guy who's a, a totem like that and uh, actually leaves his mark beyond the literal physical years that he spent in that organisation. So, um, yeah, sad, sad day for the Giants. Gordon, just in general terms, we, we learn a lot about coaches either when they retire or when they when they sadly pass away is by the tributes they get. And we're, we're all big boys. We understand what coded language can be. And, you know, it, it's always nice to see that people actually are genuine in their outpouring and their comments about someone. Yeah, and I think you always you can always kind of tell when it's really genuine when you see the range of places it comes from. So he was also the offensive coordinator for a couple of seasons in Baltimore. Don't think it was when John Harbaugh was there, but John Harbaugh has come out and said something today. Numerous different people coming out. And like when you can see a guy whose impact wasn't just with the team who he was predominantly with throughout his career, but also elsewhere, and you can see that amount of people wanting to come forward and say nice things and pay tribute, then um, I think that speaks to how genuine it is. Gents, moving from one stand-up great guy to another, Aaron Rodgers still on holiday in Hawaii, still in the huff. Are we are we sensing any movement on this story, or is he going to be in the green and gold? And it, this is just a big fuss. Well, the the funny thing is when we're looking at that giant schedule, the Denver one, I think is an absolute gimme win for the Giants, assuming Drew Locke starts a quarterback. If Charles' worst nightmare happens and Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is starting there, then then I'd maybe round myself down to three and three. So I I think he's going to play for the Packers this year. Um, it then wouldn't shock me if he retires at the end of the year. I just we're going to look back on this and wonder it, one or two things are going to happen. He's either going to go play for the Packers this season, win the Super Bowl, and retire, or move on, and everyone will just think it was not an issue at all, or it's going to go up in flames this year and we're going to wonder how the Packers managed to burn the last few years of his career. Yeah, it's a fair point. We'll see where that goes. Big move in the NFL, probably the biggest story over the last few days. Julio got his stretch and decided to take it all the way to Tennessee. The Titans are delighted, Jamie, and it looks like a pretty good deal in terms of a second round and a fourth round. For all, I mean, he's getting on in, in receiving age, but Julio Jones from the Falcons to the Titans. He's getting on, but it's not been reflected in his numbers yet. I mean, you've got so much more um, offensive talent, not just receiving talent, offensive talent around him as well. It's just one more thing to worry about. Um, yeah, it's a great it's a great move. It makes so much sense um, for Atlanta, yeah, to get a second and a fourth. They'll be happy with the draft capital. It's It's not a terrible deal for them. So it actually maybe comes under one of those ones where both teams come away thinking, well, that was that was a pretty good deal. Gordon, were you surprised that other teams weren't prepared to pay a little bit higher to get him? I think it came down to the salary impact. I think that's what I saw reports, whether or not this is true or not, that Kansas City and Baltimore were basically out because the salary cap hit just was a little bit um, difficult to swallow. Um, so I, I mean, I would have loved him to have found his, found his way to, to Baltimore, but I think salary wise, I can understand it. I think 
it made so much sense for the Titans, though. If you looked at what the Titans receive in depth chart, as much as there's a good offensive line, as much as it's good at quarterback or solid at quarterback with Tannehill, the receivers outside of AJ Brown were Josh Reynolds, Cameron Batson, Des Fitzpatrick. Like there were very few NFL catches amongst this group before they add Julio Jones, and they add in AJ. Uh, they add Julio Jones now to AJ Brown, and you know you can make the case that that's now the best one-two. Um, tandem in the NFL. I think the AJ Brown stuff's brilliant. And a now deleted tweet, AJ Brown tweeted something to do with a number regards to this. He's getting to keep 11. Julio Jones doesn't want it. But he tweeted, it's called humility. It's called respecting those who paved the way for you. Simple minded people wouldn't understand. Nowadays, I guess it's okay to hate before you show love. Not too many like me. I know that. So it's called humility and it ends not too many like me. And this is from AJ Brown, whose Twitter and Instagram handles are 1K always open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the Titans receivers could just come out their shell a little bit, you know, it might, <laughs> might, might make it a little impact in Tennessee. I, I, I really like AJ Brown as well. I think he's a brilliant receiver. I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, I'm going to get a tattoo of that. <laughs> should be on a t-shirt shouldn't it let's yeah. get that on the t-shirt I think the guy that perhaps might be the happiest is Derek Henry because you know it's, uh, altogether the coverage now changes for any team playing Tennessee you simply can't stack the box and hope that you know your top corner or safety can pick up AJ Brown you've now got problems left and right and Derek Henry surely will be the recipient of, of a lot more space Changes the whole shape of that that offense, and it was let's be honest, it was a pretty tasty offense last season. Yeah, they lost a couple of pieces in the, in, in the summer. That's forgotten about now. Um, uh, Tennessee will be back, and they'll be right in the hunt again next year. And the the flip side of that is the unluckiest person in all this is Arthur Smith, who went from being the Titans' offensive coordinator. Now he goes to Atlanta, and Julio Jones goes the other way. That's not. <laughs> not really the way you want it to go. I think Calvin Ridley will be pretty happy as well. Ridley looks like a player who can put up a decent number of yards, and you know him and Kyle Pitts are going to be the focal points of that offense now. So, don't I don't know that it massively hurts Atlanta this year. The big mistake I think they made was extending Matt Ryan to the point that you know they could have gone and taken a quarterback this year, or traded down or something. Matt Ryan's contract kind of made it that they are still trying to be in the hunt, but. Julio Jones' contract made that difficult, so they kind of mismanaged a couple of things that led to the point where I think this just became kind of What do you expect from a team that shouts, don't score when you're two yards out and they accidentally score? You know, come on. Oh, dear, oh, dear. But we won't be seeing Julio in London, unfortunately, because he is no longer there. Uh, just just touching briefly on the, the, the London games that were announced, we, we've settled this down a little bit. Um, are, are, have we just been given the runt of the litter or is that being unkind? I think, I mean, the, the, the highlight and the headline is Trevor Lawrence is coming to London in his rookie season. And that's definitely, I think, what NFL UK and the Jaguars are and should sell it on. Um, if he is as good as advertised in the NFL, then... I think people will probably forgive it. If he if, if what comes out of the London games this year is we get a Trevor Lawrence masterclass in London, I think people will probably forgive anything else beyond that. Jamie, do either of the games work for you? 
Um, it didn't have me leaping up to buy tickets, but um, the, the more you look at them, actually, I think they probably will be not too bad games. Um, probably just happy to have a couple of games back again. You know, it, you know, they, they could easily have just said, no, we'll leave it another year. So, um, um, you know, it's good that we can start building them up again. But yeah, you know, they're not they're not billboards. They're not you know flashing light ma- uh, matchups. But uh, um, there's enough intrigue, in particularly at quarterback, which is what's going to sell tickets for these ones. That uh, that, that should make them yeah. yeah the more than watchable. I would hope. Yeah, I mean you the Florida Derby, Jags, Dolphins, Jets, Falcons. I I think yeah, Jags, Dolphins. I think there's enough in there to to make us you know want to go. And we know the old story that you know the games will sell out no matter what because it's all about what goes on around them. But it will be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see which country gets the Packers first because they are being forced out of. Uh, the USA. So it'll be interesting to see if they will be a London team at some point. Because I'll tell you what, tickets for that will be hard to get. Jess, before we... Bef- if I had to make a guess for that, I would say it will be Germany that gets the Packers. Yeah. That, that would be interesting. I think I'd love to see Germany get games because I think we, we all appreciate the, the history that the, the game has over there. Um, and I think you would get a lot of people from Britain, ironically, trying to get over to Germany to go and see it. I think it'd be amazing. Apparently, the beer in Germany is very good as well. I mean, you guys might know better than me. I once I got nearly drunk two half pints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other topics that, that have caught your eye in the NFL in the last couple of weeks? Because the, the one that's caught my eye is the gushing. Uh, coverage of the OTAs. All 32 teams look brilliant. Everybody looks tremendous. We never get the truth. It's the same in Major League Baseball, isn't it? When you when you get the you know spring training, everybody looks great. Everybody looks good. Um, and it, it's it's hard. Gordon, how do we sift through all of this stuff to see what teams are actually going to be like? I, I think you just take everything with a pinch of salt right now. Um, interestingly, I, I read the only player I've read anything negative about from OTA so far is Drew Locke apparently was horrible at the Broncos. So, uh, <laughs> for, for a team that passed up on about three quarterbacks so far this offseason and probably won't start Teddy Bridgewater, that's probably not a great a great shout. I think it's the type, the, the, the best news that I actually look for out of OTAs is not seeing a player name for anyone I have any remote, anything remotely invested in paired with Achilles, ACL, PCL, anything like that. That that's that's the best thing to get out of OTAs. It's just a tough sell this time of year, isn't it? You know, this is my trade. You're trying to you you're you're probably what feels like the farthest away from any like actual news to report on. Um you gotta weigh up what are people gonna want to read. So they get the, this is a time where um you want to have a little bit of hope, don't you? So you gotta sell a little bit of hope to the fans. Um, and yeah, there's no injury stuff to report on. It's a strange time in uh, football journalism over here when you've got teams aren't even back for pre-season training yet, and it's 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 a little bit like that. It's the hardest point in the calendar to uh, to, to to build any sort of narrative. So everything's great. That'll sell. Excellent. Well, at least I guess in your case you've got the Euros to look forward to. Uh, yeah. You're off to cover Scotland very soon. Yeah, yeah, going down to to uh, 
see the lads in their training camp for the next week before they play the Czech Republic. So, um, yeah, I was, well, I was 14 the last time we were in a major tournament. So uh, uh, I can't wait. This is going to be a fantastic month ahead. And Gordon, you will be there on behalf of the NFL Scotland podcast, presumably in your NFL Scotland podcast sweatshirt, umbrella, hat, coat, whatever, to represent us when uh, we play the checks on Monday. Exactly. I- I'm actually going to be there um, from 11 p.m. on Saturday evening. That's when my entry into the stadium is. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a pack of tent. Um, not, allowed, not allowed food, but I can pack a tent. Uh, rock up pitch side and camp for two days. Now I go in at like 11 in the morning, which seems a little bit excessive, but I understand the reasons for it. Um, I, like Jamie, I remember the last major tournament I saw our men's team in was 98 and I was 11, I think. I remember running home from school um, to catch the game against Brazil. So just to be there in person when we're finally in a major tournament against Brilliant. I've already told my friends, I've got, three people coming with me one's my girlfriend two are my friends and they asked what i wanted for the ticket and i bought the ticket what two years ago now so i've told them i don't want money i want a pint and a bourbon when we go out for dinner afterwards and they're not allowed to laugh at me if i cry during the national anthem that's that's their payment for the game Absolutely brilliant. Gordon and Jamie, thanks both for joining me here on the NFL Scotland podcast. That is the full-time whistle on episode 148 for episode 149. What else could you want? Yes, we will be bringing back Cameron Hobbs. From myself, Paul Mitchell, on behalf of Jamie from Gordon, enjoy the Euros as well as all these wonderful, weird and wonderful NFL stories going around. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.